everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now in this episode we are talking to Sephora. So we start the episode with talking about self-expression and the importance of being your authentic self. Then Sephora takes us on an amazing journey from Nicaragua to Miami through Costa Rica and Bali where she shares her love for nature how she ended up becoming a landscape designer and now running her own business. Enjoy the show. Hey, Sephora, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Thank you. I'm so excited for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to record this episode with us. Um, We met you about two years ago, I think it was. Uh... You were one of the daybreaker uh, mischief maker and where we met so many amazing people in Miami. And I will always remember the first time we've seen you, (laughs) to be honest. It was the first daybreaker we went to, actually. We were not even uh, part of the mischief makers yet. We were just guests. And it was at the FINA, at the FINA forum. And everyone was dressed with white and here come this little fairy wearing like a long silver wig and and wings and a dress and I was like look at that <laughs> wow <laughs> I always remember that <laughs> this image yeah <laughs> oh well, I, I remember that daybreaker and um, I didn't realize that was your first daybreaker um, yeah. And I think that I was also doing face painting that day yeah. before, which was, you were. Which was a, yeah. something that I was, was still relatively like new to me. Um, and I just really enjoyed like being able to connect and like do like these like simple like gestures on people's faces with a little bit of white paint and having that time to to connect. Um, and then not too long after that, I think that I recall that you're breaking your foot. Yeah. A few months later, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you broke your foot and you were coming back, I think, from a trip in Europe. And uh, Jojo had mentioned to yeah. me that we, we had like some really cool new uh, mischief makers that were going to be joining us and uh, and her being really excited about it and, and me too. And she's like, but one of them broke their foot, so it's going to take a little longer for them to be able to actually join us because they, they can't quite dance and move around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had crutches for a little while, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the first time we volunteered was also at the FINA Forum, same place. So, it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember which one that was, but I think that that... I think that I remember that party, too. I remember meeting you guys, though, for sure, and being like, wow, what an amazing couple, you know? And people show up, and they have this, like, really powerful, like, loving energy. Like, I was like, what better people to welcome into our family than people that come from such a place of love. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> um, so to start this conversation, I thought that we could um, speak about what I would say like self-expression. Because since I've known you, so every time there is an event, you come with a different outfit. I've seen you with pink hair, blue hair, purple hair, and I don't even, probably some green. I, I don't even remember how many colors you've had since we've known you. Um, you really like to be yourself, you know? You're not hiding, you're not, uh, I mean, from 
what I see at least from what I perceive. Uh, you you are who you are, and you express you express yourself as you want. Uh, you're always smiling. You're always happy, and I'm curious. Like, have you? always been like that because you know it's not easy to be 100% yourself in front of people this sort of judgment in the society and everything uh, so I'm curious if you've always been like that or if it's been like a journey a long process um, well, first of all thank you I'm quite flattered um, it's I would, I would have to say that it's definitely been a process you know as a, as a child um, I made a pact with myself once when I was nine years old that I would never grow up to be an adult because um, I ended up learning just by observing the adults around me that uh, adults typically demand a lot of respect and I realized at a young age that respect is not something that's just given to an elder or someone just because they're older than you or an adult or your teacher it's something that has to be earned and what I was observing is that a lot of the people around me didn't really earn my respect but they expected it so I decided that I would. I never wanted to be a part of that, and, and that I was going to stay true to myself. and And I've done that till this day. I feel like rather well. Um, and as I ended up getting older, and I I went to school for, for landscape architecture, I, I started to subconsciously begin to change the way that I dressed and the way that I would express myself to be somewhat more in alignment with the corporate image of what I felt was expected of me. And wow. by the time I was getting ready to finish grad school, it's like I looked at my wardrobe one day and it had gotten kind of drab. And um, and all of a sudden I, I, I had this like realization of the fact that I had started to groom myself towards fitting in with an idea that I made up for others' expectations of myself. And I feel like we're all guilty of doing this subconsciously and it usually takes quite some time to awaken to it and realize like no one expects me to wear this like super boring outfit when I go to work just to, you know, for them, for them, for myself to then expect for them to respect me because I'm wearing and I'm fitting in this like stereotypical role of what's been discussed or, you know, like even though it hasn't been discussed, it's just kind of like yeah. these unsaid things. So at that point, I decided that by continuing to play into that role, I was actually not expressing myself in my true fashion. And it was starting to depress me, even though I, at first I was all about it. And like, you know, I would go shopping and I'd buy like the most like boring black dress. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the two of you can attest that black is probably one of the colors you've seen me wear the least. Because I'm usually yeah. dressed like a rainbow. <laughs> Um, yeah. And with time, as I started to become bolder with my form of expression, you know, whether it be my hair or the, the clothing that I'd be wearing, um, wearing patterns and textures and, you know, like things that, you know, you don't normally find like off of the shelf. And my mother is a seamstress. So growing up, like I would make a lot of my own clothes and she would always help me like tailor stuff and fix stuff. So this idea of like being creative and crafting your own things has always been important to me. Um, and the more I felt that I showed up authentically as myself, whether it be with, you know, blue and purple hair or, you know, wearing, you know, a, a print full of like camouflage animals or something, the more people actually respected me. And 
I feel like people see you for who you really are when you really show up as yourself. And by showing up and not trying to fit into others' expectations of me that I was creating for them, um, it enabled me to grow and to be able to transcend a lot of stereotypes and a lot of uh, limitations or like self-limiting beliefs that we can sometimes create. And uh, and it's been a journey. And as I continue to like move forward, I, you know, like people sometimes will comment and be and ask me about like you know like where where you get like where does your sense of fashion come from? Like how do you keep up with all this stuff? And I always tell them, you know, like first of all, don't go shopping to like a standard mall or store because you're always going to end up looking like you're off the shelf. If uh-huh. you instead um, organize clothing swaps, which is actually one of my main sources of shopping, is shopping through other friends' closets. So you organize clothing swaps, and you know, like you end up with items that you would uh, you would never otherwise like have purchased for yourself necessarily, but you end up finding that they really suit you and you really love them. Yeah. Um, and I also, you know, I also realized a couple of years ago. I used to live in this one apartment that had a ridiculously large closet. And as I lived there, I ended up amassing it with such an obscene amount of clothes. And when it came time to move and I had a regular closet, I realized that I had to get rid of more than half of my wardrobe. And as I was parting ways with all the like clothes that mostly just stood there, because I would wear like, like not even kidding, like one dress maybe once a year, if that, because I had so many clothes to be able to cycle through. And when I ended up getting rid of more than half that clothes, I ended up realizing that it's really easy to begin to also get kind of like stuck in this trap of accumulating and amassing things. And a lot of these things were all that like came from like, you know, like stores that I had bought like brand new and stuff like that. And as, as I got rid of stuff and I really just stuck with the things that I do enjoy wearing and that bring me joy and things that I can couple with a lot of different stuff so that I can travel very light. Um, like that appealed to me more. And then I also made a rule that I couldn't buy any clothes from any like like any new clothes. Any clothes that I that I did buy would have to come from a secondhand store or like a garage sale or a clothing swap. And by changing that one rule, because I also noticed that a lot of the clothing that I had was made out of polyester, which is essentially just plastic. Um, And it's not necessarily biodegrading back into the earth in a a very sustainable way. So I ended up becoming, I ended up creating very like strict fashion rules. It's like, all right, no polyester, no brand new clothes. And, you know, it sounds pretty simple, but once you, you know, <laughs> if you're ever out there and you start to notice what the materials of your clothing are made out of, you know, even something that appears to be a cotton t-shirt, you'll sometimes notice that it it's actually like a polyester blend. So yeah, it has cotton, but it also has polyester. Um, and these are fabrics that don't breathe very well either. So when you're going hard and partying, you can also end up getting stinkier because you don't have good quality like, like fabrics that you're wearing. And, uh, and just those two roles as far as like redesigning a wardrobe and being very selective about the things that I was inviting into my closet and storing, um, I feel like changed a lot of my style. And for parties and daybreakers and things like that, I also have a rule that I can't buy anything new just for like a single use occasion. So for a lot of people, it's like, well, how do you do it? Because each time I see you, it's like you have something completely different, but somehow this is something that's been living in your closet magically. Like, um, and, and I do have to say that 
you know, I'm very grateful for the circle of friends that I have, um, especially my, my little sister that has a great sense of fashion and she happens to have a spectacular great collection. So every once in a while, you know, I've found out that you end up getting more value out of reaching into a friend's closet as opposed to going out and spending $20, $10, whatever little bit amount of money it may be, at the end of the day, it adds up and it ends up being things that just sit there and take up space. Um, exactly. And also expenses that, you know, also add up. So, so by having these rules of like, all right, I'm not buying anything new. And if, you know, like I want to borrow something, I'm going to ask, you know, like in my, in my social circle, like, Hey, like, you know, like, is this something that's available to me? Can I borrow this? And chances are they always will be. Yeah. So, yeah. so it makes it so you can have a much lighter closet and enjoy fluctuating styles and fashion without having to be amassing things and being held down by them. I wonder if any part of this is like, how do I this? So when I was in Miami, one of the big things I learned was that the more that you show up for yourself, the more you allow other people to do the same thing. And I wonder if also that's part of Maybe it isn't at all, or maybe it is, that's why I'm asking, but I wonder if that's also part of why you dress how you want to dress, to kind of give permission to other people to dress how they want to dress and be like, hey, I'm dressed as a fairy with a pink wig, or I'm doing, you know, like, dressing however I want to live, and I'm running a successful business, I'm very happy in my life, you know, I've got all these things going on, and I dress this way, and then I wonder if that, does that influence your thoughts at all, trying to help other people to do the same, or is that not at all something that you consider when you do it purely for yourself, or? Well, I do do it purely for myself. I feel like we all have to do things for ourselves but I have noticed that by doing things for yourself it inspires others to change the way that they do things so that it is for themselves and all of a sudden this conversation comes up of like well why do you wear the clothes that you wear you know and then that conversation about trying to fit in a stereotype of expectations false expectations that we create for others of ourselves comes to light and they're like you're right my employer does not expect me to look, you know, like X, Y, Z, that I created this expectation of them and this is what I live by. And the second um, that they realize that they're not actually being in charge of their own sense of fashion because they're, they've created this construct, this false construct of others' expectations of them that it allows them to be able to go into it and be like, no, I do want to wear more colors and like funky prints and I am going to dye my hair into this, you know, extravagant color and rejoice in it and have fun. Because at the end of the day, I always remind people, this is not our practice life. This is it, you know, like, and the the best part of it all is that we were able to show up however we choose to. And and it's up to us to be able to enjoy it as much as we can. And there's nothing sadder than getting to be, you know, like in your in your in your elder days and, and think, you know what, like when I was young, I don't know why I never went ahead and did all these fun things, why I didn't experiment with changing. I should have, I should have. Precisely, and then it's like all the should haves, and now you know I'm a crazy old lady with Easter colored hair, you know, like because because I I'm going to explore it right before I, I get to the very end, and you know, like the Golden Girls would say, better late than pregnant. So even if it's later on in life that you get to explore these things, it's better than never having explored them at all. So yeah. so so just go for it, you know, and and yeah, I think that doing things for yourself is the best way to help others see how to do things for themselves as well it's it's funny you're talking about that because uh before actually like 10 minutes before we started recording i was on my phone instagram and i've just pulled it because dimmer another mischief maker 
posted something on, Instag on Instagram, a quote from Carlos, another one, mm -hmm. saying, you being you is healing for someone else. And I feel like this is exactly like <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, but also, like, it is extremely courageous to be yourself sometimes, you know. Uh, it's, it's brave to actually show up as you want to be, to dress as you want to be, to block, ignore, or just don't be affected by other people's judgment. Because that's most of the time, that's why people don't do what they want to do. Uh, most people just dress casual or, or act normally or don't dance the way they want to dance because they they are scared of other people's opinion. Like, what am I going to look like? What are they going to think about me? What all those stories and and it's actually really brave and and courageous and it takes a lot of vulnerability to actually be who you want to be and say like fuck this is me <laughs> if you don't like it you know i mean deal with it um so i think it's i mean you 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 were saying it's a sign of respect but i think also it's really courageous from you to be 100 percent yourself especially in this environment with other people and everything well, it's a way of showing up authentically as as you want to be seen and not having any fear is not easy um, and and I can't say that I have any fears um, as far as you know like walking out somewhere dressed you know like looking a certain way because I know at the end of the day that whatever someone might think of you can always just be in passing that what you think of yourself will always stay with you. And I'd rather be more audacious and know that I, I'm i living in alignment with my own values um, than worry more about someone else that I'll probably never cross paths with again. Um, so and at the end of the day, when you start to disempower these constructs that we have to create excuses for not doing what we really feel inspired to do because of, you know, ideas of judgment, you know, from others and stuff like that. I'm like, well, if they're going to be judging me, then I don't want them in my life anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it can also be that simple, you know, to be able to begin to cut out people that don't deserve any real estate in your life. It's interesting. Yeah. Like how, how much we care about what strangers or random people that we might never see again think. And we stop ourselves doing what we want in front of those people when actually we we should just care about well first what we want to be and also our close friends and our close friends are probably going to be there even if we have whatever haircut or clothes or anything like because they're friends you know like they don't care about that it's, in it's interesting how much we care about those strangers more than our dear dear friend yeah yeah, and even worse off, even ourselves, you know, we start to put other strangers' perceptions above our own. You know, it's clearly a sign that it's time to stop and, like, re-examine what your ideals are and how you're choosing to live your life mm -hmm. so that, you know, you're not wasting your life on some on people that, that you don't, there aren't even part of it. Yeah, that's really true. So you mentioned that your mother was a seamstress and you would make your own clothes as a child. And I know you grew up in Nicaragua, so I'd love to hear more about your childhood, what that was like. I've never been, so if you could kind of paint the picture for us, I'd love to know. Sure. Um, so I grew up, um, like my family decided to move back to Nicaragua when I was seven. 
So okay. So we moved back, and, and I already had, you know, like, I guess under my belt, you know, like, very much Americanized, you know, like, childhood um, prior to that. And when I showed up to Nicaragua, for me, it was a little bit of a culture shock. Because oh. Nicaragua is a, a, a developing country, um, and after Haiti, it's it's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Just to oh. sort of give, you know, paint kind of like a picture of, you know, like the social, political, economical like, situation down there. And the main reason we had originally moved from Nicaragua was because of the civil war between the Sandinistas and the Contras, uh, which completely like just destroyed the country. Um, and once we moved back, you know, it seemed like things politically were changing and we're moving towards a good direction and all these new opportunities and things. Um, and and it was it was very interesting for me because I, I all of a sudden I'm finding myself going to all girl Catholic schools, um, which I you know was like for me like not being in the same classroom with boys and girls and like just being very like everything is like separated so the boys boys have their own school girls have their own school and you yeah. know like now having to go to mass on Sundays for my religion grade and all these like things I was like wow this is like a lot of like very new and different things to me. Um, so, so besides like that whole ordeal of, you know, all of a sudden finding myself, uh, with very different children that I was used to playing with, um, I also found myself with like an unprecedented amount of freedom. Um, and that's probably one of the things that I'm the most grateful for, because I feel like the years that I spent in my childhood in Nicaragua really crafted who I am today. And... You know, it's such a safe little town. I come from a town called Matagalpa, which is uh, in the very middle of the country, and it's high up on the mountains. So the weather's really nice and cool, and it's always kind of fresh, and it's where they grow cacao and coffee um, in the region. And I remember all of a sudden, you know, like having gone from having to get like picked up and dropped off by the school bus or my friend's parents or my parents to now being able to walk through the entire town by myself, you know, and it's like, all right, you know, like this is this is what kids do. Like you get up early in the morning and you walk all the way down across town so that you can climb up the mountain and go to the, the school. And, uh, you know, like this idea of like also having like spending money as a child was, was new and strange to me because in the United States, it's like if I needed anything when we were at the grocery store, that would be when my parents would give me, you know, be like, all right, well, you can throw that in the grocery cart and, yeah. and we'll buy it you know but over there all of a sudden it became this thing where I received money so I could go and choose you know which you know like street vendor I wanted to support and buy candy or an ice cream cone from or you know popsicle or, or whatever it may be so all of a sudden it also taught me a lot about economics and managing uh-huh. my own finances and being able to ration out or like save money to be able to buy like bigger things or you know like have like you know, like save up all of my allowance and then go go to the fair or the circus if the circus was in town and like treat my friends and you know have like a little outing and like on that same note it was also a place where I was able to for the first time connect with nature in a way that I had never had an opportunity to before and I grew up in a, in a quinta which is um, usually like a larger the like countryside house like right on the fringe of the town and uh-huh. as a child, like my grandmother's quinta was like right on the fringe of the town, so it's like I could still be able to you know like move around and go to all the other places. But she had every single type of fruit tree that you could imagine growing in in the quinta. So we had guanabanas, mangoes, 
um, a chiote, like all sorts of spices, like dragon fruit, you know, like passion fruit, like you named it, it grew on the property. And there was at least <laughs> one tree. Um, and for me, it was really exciting because I got to like learn about all these fruits that I, you know, didn't, had never tasted before. And I would sit there and I would look at stuff and I'd be like, oh, it looks like those papayas are going to be ready in just about two more days. And, and I would like stock the fruit so that I could go and harvest it. And then I'd sit there and I'd eat it all by myself. Like, I'm going to have to just this or, or go make some juice. Um, and it tastes so much better when you pick it up from the trees, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, yes, that, that feeling of watching something grow and eyeballing it and then just waiting for the right moment where you can sort of like feel that the texture and the color and the way that it smells, it's just prime for the picking. Is priceless. Um, but yeah, but also as, as a kid, I was really, 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 really small for my age. So when I was in fifth grade, I was the size of a second grader. And wow. And my older sister, which is a year and a half older than I am, um, she was a complete opposite. She was an early bloomer and she looked like, you know, already like a young lady, you know, like, and I was like, nowhere near to start wearing a training bra and she was already wearing real bras. So my mom, was very much like deeply troubled by this. She's like, what am I doing wrong? And she would take me to all these like different pharmacies and like doctors to to prescribe or like, you know, give me vitamins that would help me have this growth spurt that they always expected me to have. You know, I recall as a child, my sister had two bicycles and I didn't have one because my parents were so convinced that I was going to have that growth spurt that year that they bought me a bicycle that was way too large for me to be able to ride. And for years, the bike, you know, like besides being my my sister's like loaner bicycle for her friends, it just stood there parked because it was just way too large for me. And I was like, oh, one day, one day I'll have my growth spurt. But, you know, I just kept waiting for it and it would never come. So alas, my mother grew tired, I suppose, of modern science failing her. And she decided to take me to a curandero which is kind of like the, the, the local like witch doctor. Oh. And, um, and I remember this being one of the most exciting experiences that, you know, like my mom ever like took me to when I was a child. Because we'd have to like go ahead and like walk out of like the main area in town and then go up this like hill. And then eventually we'd reach his little hut. And he always had like a little fire in the middle going. And then all around the, the, the hut, he had these little shelves and they were full of different bottles, full of like all sorts of tinctures, and extracts, and herbs, just like drying and hanging, and you know whatever it was that you needed that could be cured with, you know the the, the medicine of the earth. He had in this little hut, and uh, and so my mother told him what my problem was, and that I just couldn't grow. And then he asked me, he's like, oh, you know, like how do you feel? And I was like, I feel fine. <laughs> I don't feel small. I feel, I feel, I feel good actually. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to give you a medicine then to, to help you. And, and I was to take this like little vial that he had given me and, um, and take little drops every day from this, this vial. And it's funny that this, this conversation actually came up a few days ago when we had a little housewarming party here at the house. And the first time I ever went to an ayahuasca ceremony and I tasted the medicine, 
uh, as you may know, like scent and, and taste are two of the like, most powerfully like connected like neurons for for bringing back memories. And the second that I yeah. tasted it, I was like, "This is the medicine that Curandero used to give me." <laughs> and I'm like, "Ah, oh, this this makes sense that you know I just wanted to spend all of my time climbing trees and." you know, like picking fruit and just like playing outside. Um, we used to have this really beautiful sunken garden and it was made out of zoysia grass, uh, which I used to call Beetlejuice grass before I found out that it was called zoysia grass because that's what it reminded me of, you know, like in that cemetery scene in, in Beetlejuice. Yeah. And then it had a collection of like every single type of rose that you could imagine, um, wow. but only the ones with like the most like fragrant aromas. So like if the, if the rose didn't have a scent, like too bad for that rose bush, it was gone. So my grandma did not have any real estate available for any roses that did not contribute this like beautiful like floral aroma. And um, you know, and so as I was luxuriate with the iguanas and you know, just like sit there in this rose garden, you know, I got this like really puffy little cloud of, of grass. Um, I, I would smell the roses and I would just like think, you know, I would look at the clouds like go by and you know, the patterns of the sh- of the shades and the shadows from the trees and stuff like that and hearing all the songbirds I'd be like wow this is this is what life's really about and like I, I, I should just move out to the backyard and and live here off the fat of the land and leave leave the house and for there was a period of time um, I forget what it was exactly that I was rebelling against but I was rebelling against something so my mother now wanted me to do something and I was like no 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 no, no I refuse I can just go move outside and live on a mango tree and, and I did live on a mango tree for three days. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually I was like, oh, you know what? That bed thing I have at home, like, it's actually quite good. I, I could go for, <laughs> for an actual night on the bed. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I completely digressed with what the topic was. But, but yeah, I did have a, a really interesting childhood um, in Nicaragua, just kind of like lost amongst the jungle and trying all sorts of different things and constantly like doing my best to make new friends. It's one of the things too that I also encountered when I was a child is that I went to a different school every year. Oh. So especially when you're in, in elementary school, it's such a sensitive time and everybody has their best friend and it's like all of a sudden new kid shows up and they're like, this is my best friend and everyone gets really defensive about, you know, potentially losing their best friend. And I just remember being like, hey, hey, look, I'm not trying to steal anything. I just want to have friends too. You know, like you guys can still be best friends. I just, I just want to play, yeah. and you know, I know that if I, if I don't um, make any like do any legwork towards having friends, I'm not going to have any. So, yeah. I also learned that the more games you could teach your new friends, the more they would like you. Because all of a sudden, it's like you brought something new and exciting to the table that's you know no one else knew about, and to be like, all right, well, um, we're not going to pick her for playing in our in our team sport because. She doesn't really, I was very unathletic as a child, partially because I was so small for my age. So if you were a team leader that actually wanted to win the game, you would not pick me. Um, you would pick me, you'd pick me last because I, I wasn't really playing to win and everyone knew that and I was very clear on the fact that, look, I'm just trying to have a good time. Like winning is so secondary to me because I'm not competitive and I know that this is important to you. So choose your teams wisely as you see fit. But if you want to have a good time, you can pick me on your team and we'll definitely have a good time. Even if we win or lose, we'll enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of a, like a snapshot of who I was during my, my childhood. And, uh, 
and you just just quickly to talk about um was your size you, you said that you felt okay about it when your mom was was be worried about it what about in school because i know kid can be mean you know and jokes around were you ever bullied because of that because i was always the new kid um i don't think that a lot of kids felt that comfortable with me to just be able to like bully me and even though i was small i was very feisty and i definitely had that type of attitude of like you do not fuck with me um you know um, if you know what's good for you um so i never had any issues with kids um good you know like trying to bully me or like be mean to me if anything like they 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 were always kind of like astounded by me because i'd be so small but i'd show up with such a big like energy and and presence that they'd be like all right well we need to respect her because we don't understand her <laughs> good so i guess growing up in this environment uh, really connected to nature uh, in nicaragua and everything uh, played a big role in the uh, choice of your career or is it just a coincidence that you ended up doing you know landscape design and stuff like that Yeah, so uh, as a kid, like yeah, like definitely like I feel like the the role that my childhood played into what I do now um for for my business was pivotal. You know, like I I grew up building like tree forts and tree houses and you know, like definitely like uh I had a one of my best friends her grandmother had a hardware store. And God bless her grandma because we would go into the hardware store and we broke her blind. We're like, oh, we need a saw. We need some wood, like nails, some paint. You know, like, oh, but get out the gold paint. We're gonna make it gold and purple. You know, like do something really regal. Um, and then we'd go off and we'd build all these like different extravagant things for us to play in, like swings and ladders and you name it, we made it. And uh, I, growing up, I actually struggled with what I wanted to be when I grew up, quote unquote. Um, uh-huh. And I was always somewhat jealous of all of my friends that from a very young age knew I want to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a fireman, whatever it may be. I was like, well, good for you. You know, I, I I always felt like I knew everything I didn't want to be, but I had no clue what I wanted to actually do. And when I first started college, I in my quest to figure it out, I decided to just take lots of really interesting elective courses. Um, so I would take classes that were, had nothing to do at all with whatever major I had because I didn't know what major I did have. So I was just taking classes for fun. And I happened to take a field biology class in Costa Rica. And while we were hiking through one of their, their national forests in, in Manuel Antonio, you know, we had just like finished seeing this like beautiful pair of resplendent quetzals like fly through, you know, like in a, like and the, the park ranger we were with, he's like, wow, it's been so long since I see a pair. He's like, I'll see like one every once in a while, you know, like off on its own, but haven't seen a pair, you know, that means that there's a pair that's nesting somewhere here in the in the park. And he, he was really excited and, and just like in awe of, you know, like this beauty. And it, it dawned to me as we were going through the, the wilderness of this jungle, you know, um, that someone had designed the little path that we were all walking on so that we could go ahead and have this powerful connection with nature and be able to experience the wilderness of this luxurious jungle, knowing that we were going to be able to come out of it in one piece and not get lost. Because as a child, it was always 
something like that I was very much like made aware of that you don't go play in the jungle because if you go play in the jungle, chances are that you're going to get lost. And you and and there's there's you know lots of stories of like family members and other people that have gone into the jungle, never to be heard or seen from again, because um, wow. it really is that difficult to be able to get a sense a sense of you know like a like mapping and awareness of where you are within a pristine yeah. jungle, and you get always still very raw like as far as like natural beauty and stuff like that. So you do find a lot of these amazing jungles. So you can just kind of like peek from the edge. But not really go inside. And mm. when I was in Costa Rica, and I was like, "Someone designed this path. I want to be the person that designs this path." You know, like I want to be able to create these experiences for others to be able to connect with the spirit of the land and and, and be able to connect with nature and know that they're going to be okay and be able to come back out from it. And um, but I still didn't know what a landscape architect was. Um, yeah. And not so long after I I came back, I ended up taking another class um, that was actually being taught by a professor that had taken the field biology class with me in Costa Rica and she was teaching like a human sexuality class and I had to do like a book report and it just so happened to be that um, at, at the bookstore that they had the the art and design books right next to all the sex books <laughs> so as I was cruising the store to find the book for, for my class all of a sudden I noticed all of the architecture and design books and lo and behold they also had a landscape architecture section and I was like oh this is it this is this is this is what I want to do I want to design like beautiful gardens and places for people to be outdoors and I want to be able to make these little paths through through these like pristine parts of nature so that people can experience you know like all the beauty that lies within it and be able to gain an understanding and appreciation for it and the second that I figured that out and I started my studies into that direction, I was like, all right, finally, like I figured it out and I have a goal and I'm going for it. And uh, and there hasn't been a day since that, that I look back and think that I would have preferred to have done something differently. Because um, definitely I can see now that all of the work that I was doing in my childhood, whether it was gardening, you know, like for, for like fruit trees and you know, like herbs and, you know, like vegetables and stuff like that, or whether it was just picking flowers and just observing how different trees flowered at different times of the year and, you know, what kind of like leaf litter that would drop and, you know, what kind of birds would come and visit them and all this like stuff. I'm like, oh, this is like work that I've been doing since I was a child to prepare me to be able to have this understanding of the landscape in order to be able to design ecologies and living systems that work together to not just make something look nice, but to actually create habitat for lots of different, um, like birds and butterflies and, you know, all sorts of little creatures that, that need a lot of, uh, like homes, um, rebuilt for them as we're continuing to remove a lot of these natural landscapes from our cities and places of living. It's amazing. It's amazing that something that you like did for fun as a child has now become your career and something you do for fun but also for work <laughs> as an adult like it's amazing that you had like there's listening to your stories like there's the clear connection between your childhood and what you're doing now like it kind of it's so obvious that this is what you should be doing and I couldn't imagine you doing anything else when you said like you know I never there's not been a day since where I think I should have done something else I can't imagine you doing anything else like it kind of just makes so much sense that that's what you would be doing yeah, I think that if I had chosen to be like an accountant or something, you know, I'd, be, I'd probably be very, I'd be bored to tears. 
I'd be bored yeah. with tears, yeah. and I'd probably be one of these other people walking around being very unhappy with my own life choices and wondering, where did I go wrong? Because I'm also not very yeah. good at math, you know, so I'd be like, why am I counting? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think that sometimes it's really about remembering to connect with yourself and and really sitting with that to realize and acknowledge like what it is that your heart and your spirit is calling you to to do and how to show up and how to contribute to to the world in a way that's going to be meaningful in a way that is going to be only unique to to you and your specific skill sets and gifts um in a very special way it's what i find amazing in in this story is that you experimented for a while um, and eventually you found and picked what made you happy and you turned that into your career. When I feel like personally, and I don't think I'm the only one, uh, when you go through the education system, most of the time you're directed towards what you're good at without taking into account if you're enjoying it or not. Uh, it's like you're good at math, so you know, you could do X, Y, Z, or you could... Uh, but it's really, I mean, I don't know, may, at least from my experience, I don't remember anyone, you know, asking like, okay, you're good at this, so you could do it, but is that something that you would enjoy, you know, or that you like? Uh, it's, it's not often taken into account uh, when you're helped to choose a, a path at such a young age when you have no idea what the world is as well. I mean, we can talk about that for a while, but uh, asking a 16 years old or 14 years old, whatever, like, what do you want to do in your life? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Fuck about the world. <laughs> like, um, but it's amazing that you, you, I love the fact that you experimented, tried things out and eventually find that and, and you went for it. And I guess also you had support from your parents and people to, you know, like push you to pick that. That's that's amazing. Well, you know, surprisingly enough, I wouldn't say that I necessarily had a lot of support. Um, oh. You know, like since my like you know my I come from an immigrant background, um, I always felt like, regardless of what it was that I needed to figure out that I wanted to do um, for a living, I needed to figure out, and I. At a younger age, I really enjoyed the idea of like maybe getting into other creative fields, you know, like whether it be art or music, um, something a little less tangible. And and I remember um, thinking, yeah, but what I really need to do, because again, you know, like this goes back to <clears throat> realizing that you're living up to others' expectations of yourself that uh -huh. may may or may not be real. In some cases, we construct them for them, and. Um, from my mother, like since she never had the opportunity to study at a proper university, like the idea that, you know, like she had moved us back again into the United States, that we could go ahead and have a, a college education and be able to have opportunities that were not available to her growing up. Um, I felt a very strong obligation towards my mother to not just, you know, like go out there and start a punk band and, and, and you know, like go on the road and, and do that, but I felt like I needed to actually go to a four-year university and get a degree and get that piece of paper and be like, look, mom, you know, like everything that you've worked hard for. I made it. 
I made it and I did it and here's the piece of paper. Um, but the reality is that when I first started college, it's like I had no idea what piece of paper I wanted. Um, there's so many pieces of paper. I was like, and there's so much time and money that you can spend in in a university institution. Um, and 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 I was like, it's something that I'm not really doing necessarily for myself, but because I'm doing this for my mother, you know, like as a way to thank her and to show her that you know her work and labor wasn't done in vain. Um, it just so happened to be that I was able to find a piece of paper that was in alignment with my own values and beliefs and and things that truly bring me joy. And um, and at the end of the day, you know, like this is a conversation that I had I've had with my mother since then and she's like she's like well i just wanted you guys to have the opportunity but she's like i never actually expected you guys to to actually do it and, and go through it like if you wouldn't have chosen to do something different you know she's like i would have still love you just as the same and i would have been just as happy for you as long as i could see that you were living a fulfilling life um that you know like but for her it was like all right so you know everything you don't want to do you know like let me know when you figure it out you know like <laughs> Maybe I can make you a dress or something or an outfit to go with it. <laughs> I'm 33 and I still don't know what I want to do with my life. So I think figuring it out however old you were was a lot earlier than me. So, <laughs> and, and you know what, too? Like, sometimes I feel like we all have this, like, sense of pressure for figuring things out. Um, yeah. Especially because we see our peers figure it out. And, and there's like these, like, social constructs that also get, you know, like, programmed into, like, certain timelines for age. Like the university, for example, it's like you graduate high school by the time you're 18, then you start your university career and you finish by the time you're like 22 or 23, and then you have your piece of paper and you can start officially like working the grind and you know having your nine to five or whatever it may be that it may be. And I didn't figure it, like I felt that I figured it out kind of late compared to some of my peers. And um, and I, I, I put so much pressure on myself and I realized this in retrospect. Because I, I knew clearly what I didn't want to do, but I was so clueless with what I wanted to do, and um, and that's when I decided, you know what, I'm gonna just do all the things that interest me, and explore that realm. And I tell people the best thing that you can do is not put pressure on yourself or create any expectations for timelines and deadlines, because we're all living very different paths, and life can be linear, but usually it's pretty squiggly. You know, yeah. and it has its ups and its downs, and it's never just a straight line going across. And it's through these motions of going up and down and through the sides and weaving in and out that we really find who we are and what it aligns with us. And not having this sense of responsibility or pressure of like, I must do it before XYZ age, I feel is the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself. Because you're able to, by taking that pressure off, create more room into your life to have more imagination, liberty, and freedom to explore all these other little things that may otherwise get overlooked because the pressure is so strong that it makes you incapable of being able to observe and come, you know, have those opportunities come to light. So keep doing it on your path. You know, like what you're doing right now, just having fun and exploring things, um, especially travel. I feel is one of the best ways to really get to connect with your own like soul and you know like and also see like how that relates to people and landscapes in different places that you may be first um, coming into awareness with and and that will bring you more 
like knowledge and information than sitting at home beating yourself up because you can't figure it out. And you know, partly like had I not taken a field biology class in Costa Rica, I don't think that I would have figured it out. You know,、mm. so being able to just have fun and trust the process and know that there is no timeline、um, except for the ones that we have falsely constructed. And at the end of the day, like. Nothing in life is guaranteed, and we can die tomorrow. You know, like we can die later today, and it's too late to regret anything once you're dead.、Um, yeah. So, as long as you're enjoying life every day and knowing that it's all a process, and that eventually you'll get to where you need to be, and being okay with that is so much more important. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to everything you just said. Like right now, especially like I feel like. We are all on a different timeline, and, and etc. It takes longer to some people to figuring out.、Uh, but yeah, like literally, like the fact that Rosie and I decided to, you know, like quit Miami, quit our job to take about eighteen months or whatever to experiment and and try things out to see actually what we want to do for the rest. Of our life, or maybe just for five years, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>、um, yeah, it's. I feel like you say like we have this pressure from society to check the boxes about let's graduate, let's get a job, let's find a partner, let's get married, buy the house, have a kid, and and there's no space in this timeline for experimentation. There's no space for freedom、uh, to just. Try things out without the pressure of making the money and etc.、Um, and thing is, once you get caught up into this life that we created,、uh, it's harder and harder to actually step out. I mean, or maybe it's just the story we create that is harder. But、uh, because of the money, because of I don't know everything else, like it's, it feels harder and harder to actually step back, stay like. Okay, let's maybe just wait for a little bit, experiment, reset, and see what's coming next.、Uh, I think a lot of people will. I think a lot of people like the idea of that,、um, but it's hard to execute.、Uh, but it's probably one of the best thing I think we we can do.、Uh, take this time, whatever how long it is, to just experiment. Yeah, I definitely have to say that I, I admire. I have such great admiration for people like you guys. They're like, you know what? We're gonna press pause. We're gonna take a break from all of this, and we're just going to go ahead and enjoy being alive and experiencing new landscapes and new, new places and new opportunities, and and just fill ourselves with experiences, as opposed to. Continuously getting like stuck in this、uh, routine of the day to day life, and and I, and it's not easy to be like, all right, well, first of all, we're gonna go ahead and save the the finances we need, you know, and whether it's a generous, you know, like、um, piggy bank or a shoestring budget, you know, like being able to make it work and being able to luxuriate in all the all the best things of life. 
you know, and the, the, the when, when this whole idea of luxuriating for me, you know, and what it means is being able to enjoy the simple things in life because the best things in life cost absolutely nothing. You know, things like love, you know, an amazing hug, a gorgeous sunset, the way that the, the breeze can come and like cool you when you're outside and it's really hot, just like standing in the shade, you know, all these like very small little things, the way that the wet earth smells, you know, after it rains. Um, like all these things don't cost anything it just takes a second to be able to sit there and enjoy them and luxuriate and all the beauty that they bring into our lives and i i actually can't wait for you guys to go full force with your traveling adventure because um, i'm such a big fan of the two of you that this idea of like being at <laughs> with you and getting to like see and experience all these new places and be able to see things through your lens which is so uniquely yours you know, and be able to see like all these different colors and textures and peoples and places and shapes and things, you know, like I, I'm, I'm just like giddy about it, especially because <laughs> I know that for you guys, it's, it's not just going to be like, oh, we're just traveling and seeing stuff, but it will be this really heart opening and expanding adventure for like personal development and growth. Um, so, so yeah, I, but I'm, I'm totally with you. I think that if, if, if the way that we orchestrated things um, and the way that we created expectations for our youth to be able to follow and understand that it's not this perfectly like synchronized algorithm um, that has to be based on this like timeline of expectations, but it, it is a process and it's different for all of us, you know, and take more of like a Montessori approach um, for, for developing your life and your career, we would all have richer, fuller lives. And we would have a much more interesting world. Yeah. And probably way more happier people. <laughs> as well. Yeah, which is priceless. You know, like. Yeah. It's just, sadly, it's not the main focus. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, all right, let's get it back to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started your design a career in Bali, right? I, I did. I, how did you how end did up you in Bali as a first job? That's a dream of all of people. <laughs> and it really was a dream job on so many different levels. Um, so the way that it started at the time, I was still in school. And uh, my, my boyfriend at the time was doing an internship with the Marine Aquarium Council. And he was working in Bali. And we had made plans that... Uh, once I finished the semester, I would go ahead and uh, take a semester off and I would meet him in Bali and then we would do some traveling throughout like Southeast Asia and, and just kind of like enjoy life for a little bit. And I had mentioned to him that there was this really incredible landscape architect by the name of Made Wijaya, um, which is Australian born, but he was a, he has this fabulous story about how he got adopted into this Balinese family and he had to like swim from this like shipwreck um, to the shore of the island. and. Um, and then he, he became part of their family and they renamed him Mari Wijaya. And, uh, and I had mentioned, you know, the story to him. And one day he was at the little local Warong, which is like a little cafe, having lunch. And Balinese people are just so friendly, like really like good-hearted, friendly people. And uh, so this gentleman goes ahead and he's making conversation. And, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, like what they do and all this stuff. And 
It turns out that this gentleman happens to work at the office of Made Vijaya and that the office of Made Vijaya is on the same street, on the same block as the Marine Aquarium Council, which is where my, my boyfriend at the time was doing his internship. So he gives me a call later that day and he's like, hey, what was the name of that landscape architect that you had mentioned in, in Bali? And I'm like, oh, Made? And he's like, well, it turns out his office is right down the street from my office. And all of a sudden we're having this conversation and this idea um, comes to mind to the two of us almost simultaneously. It's like, why instead of, you know, just coming by and, you know, like visiting him, why don't I do an internship with Made Vijaya and instead of like spending our time just like aimlessly traveling through Southeast Asia, spend the time in Bali and really be able to get to enjoy it and also develop this relationship with someone that I deeply admire and and respect. Um, so I ended up writing an email to Made and I introduced myself and, you know, like how I love plants and all these different things and, um, you know, and I'm excited, you know, about the possibility of this maybe like happening or not, I don't know. And then I receive a response the next day, and which was rather baffling to me. Um, and this is the response that I received after having introduced myself and all this other stuff. He's like, you seem a bit self-centered. Work on that first. Flattering. Wow. Yeah. Um, peace and love means flattering artist. And I was like, what? And I was completely perplexed by it. And then I go back and I'm like rereading the email that I had sent him. And I realized that I had taken so much time to speak about myself and what it was that I could offer, you know, like as part of his team, um, that at no point, you know, like, and, and then I just felt so embarrassed. I just couldn't, like, I didn't even know where to like hide my face. Like, um, I completely glossed over and didn't really embellish the fact that I absolutely love his work and I'm such a huge fan. And, you know, like I, I, you know, Mar um, so Made was one of these like very flamboyant, very fabulous designers. So for him, like flattery was everything, you know, and if you're not flattering him, you're already starting off on the wrong foot because he knows how amazing he is and he expects you to also acknowledge it and start things off by being able to, to praise him as, you know, someone of such caliber merits to be praised. Um, so I write back and, you know, like I tell him, you know, like, oh my goodness, where are my manners? You know, like, obviously, like, the reason I'm reaching out is because I have such deep, like, admiration and respect for your work and the fact that you did um, David Bowie's Tropical Retreat in Mystique. Like, I think that's amazing, and I absolutely love David Bowie. And the following email response that I received was, all right, so my one of my good friends and artists, Pintor, is going to go ahead and set you up for your internship and get things going. And I was just like, what? Like, really? Like, that was, <laughs> that was super easy. Um, so, so we, go, so I go ahead and I, I am really excited for this trip. And, uh, and this was many years ago, like back in 2008. And I, I went to the salon in Coconut Grove and, you know, like I wanted to have this like, amazing haircut done before my trip because I'm going to be seeing my, my love and, I'm going to be meeting this really important, you know, like person that I respect. So I was like, hey, I need to like look absolutely fabulous for Bali. So I go to the salon in Coconut Grove and um, I ask for, I ask the, the hairdresser. I'm like, all right, you know, like I want to give you, you know, like creative freedom. You know, like I want something that's like short and like, you know, like different and 
you know, something cool looking. Um, and I paint her the vibe, like I'm gonna be moving to Bali and this side and the other. So she starts to cut my hair and uh, she she's like making like a little ikebana like floral arrangement where she like picks it up and she's like twirling it around and then she just like mindlessly like snips at it and I'm like, you know, looking in the mirror and thinking, wow, this is, a, I'm either gonna look really stupid when she's finished with this or it's gonna be the most amazing, like an epic haircut ever. And because it's like one of these like really foo-foo, uh, salons in coconut grove i'm thinking well i'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt and it's gonna be really cool and edgy and like different so by the time she finishes you know i look in the mirror you know the way that um little baby chicks look when they're starting to go through their uh adolescence and and it's kind of like kind of aki and like missing feathers and you know like like scraggly and weird and i look at myself and i just start crying um, I've oh. never cried before like at a hair salon, but it was just like, oh my goodness, like you, you made me as ugly as you could possibly like. It's almost <laughs> like I came here and I was like, hey, can you make me as ugly as possible? Because um, I want the worst haircut that money can buy. Um, and that's what she gave me. So I, I go ahead and, you know, begrudgingly, like I pay her like $140 and, you know, and I leave in tears. Um, and, and now I'm like, kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? It's like, I got the worst haircut ever, and I'm going to go see my, my cute boyfriend, and uh, I got to go meet Mari and all these other different people, you know, like, and now I'm so not ready. So anyway, so I go, and then I end up having also like a layover in Guam as I'm, I'm on my way to Bali, and I ended up making friends with the, with the chefs at the, at the hotel that I was staying at, and they, they offered to take me around the island, you know, like to go check out some of the radio bars, and the island's Chinese, it's like, it takes us 20 minutes to like, go around a little trip. So we're, we're chewing on um, beetle nut palm and lime powder and these like little like leaves that you kind of like concoct the three things together and uh, it has like a mild stimulating effect and it's very popular throughout Southeast Asia. And you can usually tell who's into beetle nut chewing because their teeth look all black and you know like destroyed. And I guess at one point I must have touched my forehead with some of the lime powder um, that you mix into the leaf and the beetle nut before you start chewing it. And now I have like a bindi, like a permanent like bindi burn mark in my forehead. And so I'm like, ah, oh, this just went from bad to worse. It's like, now did I get the worst haircut possible? Now I have this like bindi, like, like poop colored burn mark in my forehead. Like this is getting me worse. And, uh, and I, I arrived in Bali and, you know, like I see my, my loving and adoring boyfriend and to him, like, he's like, oh, you look just as beautiful as always. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so sweet. And, and to help me save face, I was so grateful that Mario was gone. Um, I think that he had been doing, I got like an extended trip in India. Um, so by the time he actually showed up to the office, like my hair had gotten a chance to grow back a little bit and I felt like a little less, um, like a pupubescent baby chick. <laughs> Um, but you know what? I, I always look back on that haircut because after I walked out from the salon that day, I was like, I could have done this or worse or better on myself for nothing. And yeah. it prompted me to start cutting my own hair. And oh. since then, I've, like, like I've been doing my own hair, like all my coloring and cutting all on my own and that one terrible expensive haircut has saved me so much money um, <laughs> that that I'm really grateful for that experience and and that sense of empowerment because once someone really like damages your hair you're like um you know like I could you know like anything I do would be better than that 
And yeah. uh, and when I first learned to cut my hair, I would use a pair of like old dull like paper scissors, and I would uh, use them to like saw my hair, kind of like a little machete, you know, so that you're going very slowly because they're they're dull, so <laughs> so you can't really like mess it up too fast. Because if you're going with, like like scissors, you know, you do straight cuts. It's like anything you do is very obvious. But if you're kind of yeah. like doing like a, like a razoring with really dull like paper scissors, you're gonna go really slow. Um, so I've, I've I've graduated since then from scissors to to blades. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that in life, so many different things show up as opportunities for us. And this opportunity for me to be able to live in Bali um, has also, in many ways, like enriched my life in such a big way. Um, and and I just remember like finding myself all of a sudden like living in this villa in the middle of Ubud um, with my dreamy boyfriend and you know we're, we're staying in this like a boutique hotel that Made used to own uh, overlooking like terraced rice patties with an infinity pool it's like one of these places that people go for for their honeymoon you know like vacation and this we is did. just like home for the next <laughs> you guys went to Bali for your honeymoon? yeah to Indonesia yeah that's awesome you know, and, and this is and this is home. You know, it's like we we go off. Um, our offices were in Sanur, which is on the beach. So every morning we, we put on our, our our helmets just in case like a, a jackfruit or something falls from one of the trees. We have like a chance of like maybe making it alive. <laughs> and, and and we go to the beach, and then whenever we come back, it's like our bed is just like pristinely made, and it has like frangipanis panties or or hibiscus flowers. You know, like on top of the pillow, and you know, I'm like, this is surreal that this is my my life right now um but so and ironically enough when i went to bali i ended up working on a project in south florida uh, oh. because at the time Madi was working on the the naples botanical garden doing the uh-huh. the asian garden component for it so he's like all right well you're really good at plants so you're going to help me create the planting palette to make sure that all of the plants that we're using are in fact native to to Asia and different parts of Asia so that we can showcase, you know, the, the native Asian um, botanicals. And, and I was like, wow, like you wouldn't think that you'd go all the way around the other side of the world just to come back and work on a project in South Florida. Yeah, for your neighbors. <laughs> exactly. But, but that's, that's what I ended up doing. Um, but yeah, so, so it was an opportunity I feel like that came up because I was willing to take a chance. And I figured the worst that can happen is he can say no, we don't take interns or we don't have availability. Um, and and even when someone replies and you don't understand their response, you know, like, I, I feel like, because uh, I could have very easily been like, I don't know, he just emailed me something really weird. I don't even know how to respond to that. Like, I'm just like, not going to even bother. Like, at this um, point, I don't even have a face to go, like, meet with him in person. Um, and I decided, no, you know, like I know my worth, I know what I have to offer. And, and I know that this could very much so be a very beneficial experience for the two of us, um, which it ended up being, you know, like it also ended up being that Made and I share the same birthday. Oh, wow. Um, so he would always talk about how, you know, like us creatures born on March 22nd are, are the most elegant um, oh. and fabulous for parties because <laughs> he, he loved entertaining and having dinner parties and you know, being super extravagant with, with like, uh, celebrations and, uh, anything that had to do with having a good time. And yeah. that's, and that's when I quickly learned, you know what, like, um, 
being authentically you and not being this like boring like photocopy of what you think everyone else expects you to be is so much more powerful with how people perceive you and how people have this dynamic um, connection to want to to do things with you because you are bringing your own special energy into into the mix um, and you're unashamedly like being able to be yourself and speak these truths and just show up as yourself knowing that there's more value in that than stripping all the things that make you like special and just trying to fit into a mold or like a preconceived notion of somebody else. So how how long did you work for this ad- agency company? Not sure was the right term. <laughs> I worked there for four months and then I spent like another month um, just kind of like hanging out and enjoying the, the island. Um, and and it was it was it was really just like magical like we would have a lunch together at the office you know, like they had a like it was pretty much like a, like a full balinese compound so you had oh. the, the one like one of the structures you know was to house um the architecture component of all the design work and then on top of that they had a like a different section that was specifically made for like publishing books Um, and that's where they kind of like threw me in. They're like, we don't really know where to put her. We're just going to put her into the, the book publishing so she's not distracting all of the men downstairs. Um, and that's another thing I guess like, to kind of like bring to mind as far as like a sense of fashion and style. Uh, I would only wear these like very cute um, kind of like like little dresses to to the office. And I felt that that was what was appropriate for me to wear to, to work. And then one day I happened to wear a pair of pants. And I just remember Mata's expression being like, oh my, she does own a pair of modesty slacks. And all of a sudden, you know, like it dawned upon me that this idea that, you know, like most of my dresses were um, above the knee um, in this like culture, you know, like wasn't considered necessarily like, um, you know, like the most, uh, like, I mean, it wasn't- Acceptable. Exactly, the most acceptable in, in, yeah. a, in an office-like environment where everyone else is a man. And, um, and Mari, you know, since he's fabulous and obviously he doesn't, he loves, you know, like the idea of like style, like whenever my boyfriend would show up and we'd be having like some sort of like dinner party, he'd be like, he needs to strip off those shorts and he's going to wear the sarong and he would have like part of his like sarong collection, like ready for, for him to like dress up in more like ceremonial, <laughs> like Balinese, like attire and, you know, like fit into his own aesthetic. Um, and, and I just remember that day, like, you know, and him like making that comment about modesty slacks. So now whenever I do put on a pair of pants, like I always call them my, my mom's <laughs> So how did you, well, so you, I mean, that was, you said back in 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after working for many years on many projects all around the world, you ended up creating your own company, Tropical Alchemy. Um, Was the idea of being your own boss, having the freedom uh, always like in the back of your head or that just it just came naturally because your career was evolving and you felt it was time to to be on to do your own thing? Okay, so this is another interesting story. Um, when I started my own business, it happened by accident. I never actually resigned 
from my, my corporate nine to five job um, to start my own practice. I, I ended up feeling like, a, I mean, to, to start off, I'll just give you kind of like an idea, like a background of the work that I was doing. I was mostly um, working on like boutique resorts and hotels around the world. Um, and I've done work in over like 30 countries. Um, and, and at first I really, really loved my, my job, you know, and I, and it opened up a lot of opportunities to me that, um, for a lot of people my age were just like dream opportunities. Like, oh, wow, you get to design the one hotel, you know, which I'm not sure you're familiar with down here in Miami beach, but that was my first local built project, um, in South Florida. And to have been able to, you know, graduate from college and have all these different job offers that came my way and not have to like look out into the job market and see like where I was going to apply to go work was something that I felt very blessed about like for. And, uh, and this one firm in particular, I decided to stick with them because if, if they're based out of Fort Lauderdale, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to be commuting, but I'd much rather commute and still have my friends and all the things that I love about Miami still available readily at my fingerprints, you know, than, than to have to move there and then have to travel to do all the things that I love to do. Uh-huh. And as I mastered a lot of the projects that I had been working on and, you know, like doing a lot of like high-end design for resorts and hotels, I, I started to feel a little bit empty. Uh, because realistically, one of the reasons why I decided to become a landscape architect wasn't just to help people connect with the spirit of the land. It was also to create more public spaces, you know, so things like plazas and parks, um, places that serve for, you know, like social change and, and, you know, like an equality for everyone, regardless of what your income is, everyone is welcome to come and sit on a park bench and enjoy the breeze and the shade of a tree. Right. And, and I really wanted to be doing that type of work. And all of a sudden, I was finding myself doing projects that not even I could afford to go travel and, and experience because they were really more for like the one to three percent population of the world that can afford these types of luxuries. So I started to have a lot of like internal struggle about what I was doing with my time and how I was crafting spaces for very limited um, amounts of people, you know, like and everything very exclusive. And at the end of the day, it started to make me feel empty because I realized that I was I was living more like a sense of a accomplishment via a title, of like oh this is what I do, and you know like you know like a sense of importance over creating uh-huh. things that are fancy for fancy people. Um, but realistically, I was really far from being able to live and experience this fanciful lifestyle myself, and uh, and I decided that I was going to resign from my job because. I had done it um, for five and a half years at this point, and I had learned everything that I was going to learn with that company, and as grateful as I was for all these new experiences that came my way that I maybe wouldn't have received in other places, I realized that I was just so unhappy and unfulfilled by designing more luxury things for people that... um, that I, I felt very disconnected. So I also decided that this idea of like working 40 plus hours a week inside an office wasn't what a fairy really wants to be doing. You know, like I, I really like the idea of being out in the sunshine more and just like going to parks and living a, a richer, fuller life 
that's um, not so grossly managed under someone else's time became a priority for me. So I went ahead and I almost quit on a whim, um, if you have it. Uh, I had started off that year with a really interesting um, spiritual awakening that was happening through me. And as I think it might have been like the second day of, the, of January, I was driving to work and for the first time in like five and a half years, I, I saw a rainbow on my way to work on I-95. And it was this like spectacular rainbow. And I was like, whoa, how is it possible that in all the time that I've been spending commuting every day back and forth, I've never seen a rainbow. And then the following day, I saw another rainbow when I was on my way home. And then the following day, I saw another rainbow while I was out having lunch. And all of a sudden, like, get to the end of the week and I've seen a total of like seven rainbows, like a rainbow every day. And it started to be this kind of like a creepy message that I was receiving from the universe in the form of rainbows and I didn't quite understand it but I was like it's the world is trying to tell me something I, I don't really you know like spirits trying to tell me something communicate something be all these rainbows but I can't figure out what it is and 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 I remember like having this like, very emotional moment too and just kind of like breaking down and crying and being like what what's happening exactly and uh, at this point I was getting close to the end of the month and rainbow no fail every day and um, if you've ever seen a rainbow for more than seven days straight you can attest that it's it's kind of a, it's such a phenomenal experience that it really leaves you a little creeped out into thinking this is not just coincidence so I happened to be moving and a friend of mine was helping me move my good friend Misha and and I was living um, off of Calle Ocho in Little Havana at the time so it happened to be that that weekend there was the Gay Eight Festival happening, which is like a like, like a, uh, a celebration of all genders, you know, and being fabulous on Cayocho. They shut down the street. So my friend Misha's helping me, and uh, and it's time for us to go ahead and like look for something to eat and grab like lunch snacks. I'm like, hey, let's go to the festival and we'll find some food at the the Gay Eight Festival. And Misha was like. Oh, I don't know, Steph. I don't. I don't want to be around a bunch of gay men. And I'm like, Nisha, Steph, hate homophobe. We're gonna go to the gay festival because there's a rainbow there for me. And he starts laughing at me. And he's like, Steph, there's a ton of rainbows on the street right now. Okay. And I'm like, and I'm like, I know, but there's a rainbow there specifically for me, and I have to go find it because there's my rainbow there today. So we go out and we start walking the through the festival, the street festival. And I'm like, What do you want to eat, Nisha? My treat since you're helping me move. And Nisha's like, All right, I really want to eat Mexican. So. I'm thinking that the next like food truck that we're going to see is going to be Mexican. So we start walking and we start to find all sorts of things. There's paella, there's Philly cheesesteak, there's Greek food. You name it, they had it. Like zero Mexican in sight. So we finally make it almost all the way to the very end of the festival and tucked inside this like parking lot for, for a gas station. Um, there's a little Mexican food truck and it's, a, it's not very fancy. It's like the menu's been made in like um, neon colored poster boards with like hand print and stuff like that and and we go ahead and we order our, our tacos and we're waiting for them to make them and we're standing there and all of a sudden I notice this one sign that they have um, and it's a quote and it's like right next to the menu and it says something to the effect it was in Spanish but it says something to the effect in English of 
Work hard to build your dreams because if not, someone else will hire you to build theirs. And all of a sudden I have this like epiphany of like, oh my goodness, like this is exactly what I do. It's like I get paid to build other people's dreams and, you know, like fantasy, like vacations and all this other stuff. And as I come into awareness that I need to start working on building my own dreams, otherwise my life is going to be renegated to just, you know, like being the builder of other people's dreams. And I took it as like, okay, this, this, is, this is the message I was meant to receive today. And as I go to work um, the next day, you know, like after the weekend, and I'm driving in my car, you know, and at the time I was doing a Portuguese audio lessons as I would commute, so I would just like waste my time. And uh, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, no, I'm going to take the morning to think. And, and as I'm driving to work, I decide that this is going to most likely be my last day of work. And instead of showing up and going to the, the corporate Monday morning meeting, I am instead going to go straight to my desk and I'm going to craft my resignation letter and, you know, like express to to the company that I, I feel like this is an ideal moment for us to go ahead and part our, our ways since this is, uh, I have just finished, you know, like building a lot of different projects and I'm just getting started on new things. So before I'm too involved into a lot of new, like new projects, it's almost like an ideal time to sever our relationship. So I let them know, like, look, at a professional and courtesy, I am willing to stay two to four weeks to be able to allow like enough time for the transition or whatever it may be. But if you agree, however, that this is a good time for us to go ahead and sever our relationships and go our own ways, since at this point I, I have finished a lot of responsibility that I did have under my belt and I'm just starting to get involved in new projects. And realistically, since it was a really good time to just exit they agreed and they're like no please go ahead and you know like we can sever our relationship today and um well you know like well since you know obviously like you gave us um the courtesy of, of, of learning for two to three weeks we're going to go ahead and continue to pay you um for that time span that it is a good time for us to change and you know they thanked me and you know i said all my goodbyes to to my colleagues and by 10.30 that morning, I was in my car on my way to the beach <laughs> to start a new life. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no clue. I figured maybe I'll just go look for a job bartending and I'll work three days a week and enjoy being outside and living life a lot more. And, you know, maybe that's what's going to happen. Who knows? And that same week, uh, a friend of mine um, that I had gone to school with, he used to work as the director of planning and zoning for the city of Miami. And he reaches out to me and he's like, oh, I have these friends, they're developers, and they're looking to, to build um, like a little public plaza in Little Havana, and they need a landscape architect. Are you interested? Oh. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have a, a job anymore. So yeah, sure, I could take on a public project that's going to be used you know as, as like public domain like I would, I would love this so i get together and i meet with the developers and they turn out to be really wonderful people they explain the vision that they have for the project and i'm all about it and then they also tell me they're like so i guess since you just are starting i guess your new practice um would you be interested in office space we have a an art gallery building on calle ocho and uh, it's artist studios and gallery spaces downstairs and then upstairs we have a couple of small offices for like you know, like various nonprofits and, you know, like private businesses. And we happen to have 
an office that is vacant. Would you be interested in moving in? And I'm like, well, I, I guess, you know, like I now have, uh, I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll take one, you know, like, and, and that's how I ended up starting my, my practice for design work was all just by really checking in with myself and listening to, to what it was that was making me and not making me happy and tuning into it and being open to any opportunities or possibilities. Um, but I can tell you that when I decided to resign, at no point in my wildest imagination did I ever think in less than a week, I'm going to be opening up my own design studio and yeah. right off the bat, I'm going to be successful and I'm going to actually have like a physical office networking, some sort of like closet, but like, you know, like uh, like a real like uh, office space and all these other things and have, and have these amazing clients as well that, that continue to this day to be my clients. Um, so, so yeah, so sometimes the best things in life um, are the things that you don't plan for, um, but the things that you open up to invite into your life if they choose to manifest. Um, so I try not to take too much credit about, you know, like where I am right now because I got here and, you know, like some might say by, by luck or just like chance. Um, it also takes a lot of hard work. Don't diminish your hard work because had you have done that first project and it had been, they wouldn't have enjoyed working with you. They wouldn't have come back and you wouldn't have got more work. So don't, I believe in all that, but also don't diminish your hard work. I'm sure you were, you weren't it as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll add something to, to that. Um, in that same note, um, you know, I feel like in life it helps tremendously to be very talented and skilled at what it is that you do and, not to diminish my own like skill set or talent, but you know, like I've spent a lot of time cultivating the plant knowledge that I do have, and uh, working with people and teams and that type of thing it comes really easy to me because mm-hmm. I, I've been able to learn to like negotiate and navigate a lot of personalities and like, personality types and understand how people need to relate and communicate to be able to work with them sufficiently. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like nothing in life is going to help you regardless of how great and how talented you are, as your communication skills and your social networking skills. Because uh-huh. if I had had this relationship with this good friend of mine um, that now happened to be the director of planning and zoning for the city, um, this opportunity to, you know, like then just like be like, here, here's this developer I'm going to connect you with and you're going to start your own business not with sudden now um, and make four times as much as you do in you know, like, uh, in one month, you know, like, just by taking on this project, it's going to take you just three weeks to do, you know, I was like, oh, wow, you know, like, big night and day. Um, And till this day, like, I do zero marketing or advertising for my business. All of my clients and all of my work strictly comes through referrals from previous clients um, and people in my network of of friends. and I acknowledge that, you know, it's not the best business practice <laughs> to not to do absolutely zero marketing. Um, but it has really shown me how important it is to have the relationships that you cultivate with people and how you work with people be something that they treasure and they walk away with thinking, you know what, like there was a lot of value to this. Uh, so whenever I get like new referrals from previous clients, um, all of my new clients have already heard so much about me 
from my previous clients and you know like besides like being able to see like the photographs or visiting their homes and being like oh wow i love your new pool deck and all these like different things it looks like you live in a resort because essentially what i do is i bring resort style living to a lot of people's homes and i also incorporate a lot of ecology um into the project so that they all of a sudden have like lots of butterflies and birds and pollinators and all sorts of creatures like visiting their house and you know providing um like little bird baths and food and all these little things for 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 birds which i feel like get neglected quite often in, in landscape um, design um that by the time they get to meet with me it's like you know like they're they're just so sold on the previous experience that my previous clients have shared with them about what it was like to work with me and obviously like the work being able to speak for itself that they have no doubt within their mind that they're just ready to start and go it's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and just to add on what Rosie was saying um, and what you were saying as well, you can have all the skills, the best skills in the world. If you're an asshole, people are not going to come back to you. <laughs> like, let's put it this way. I mean, so like you said, networking, being kind and, you know, being grateful for everything, it's as important or even more than the skills that you can have because skills can be learned but being a nice person you know i mean it's it's, it's different it's not that easy um but also i i feel like in your life you've been saying yes to opportunities and that's i feel like a key in becoming who you are today uh you had opportunities and you went for it and you were probably scared you were probably wondering is that a good idea like everyone else but you went for it uh and and ultimately you know like that's that's hard that's rare like a lot of people just you know are afraid to change and or saying you know yeah i'm that might be good but I don't want to take the risk or, you know, like they're scared to take the leap of faith. And, and, and I think that's, again, to go back to the beginning of this conversation, really courageous, uh, to actually do it and go for it. And that's probably one of the reasons you're as successful as you are today, uh, is because you're going for it. Unlike many people probably. Yeah. I think that definitely, um, knowing that you have nothing to lose and taking that type of attitude when you go ahead and you take a chance at something new is is the scariest thing <laughs> that you can do because when when i resigned from my job i didn't have a, like a huge savings account at all like i had enough to pay my bills for one month and this is me being honest because um, at the time i was just so I felt a little bit like an indentured servant paying off my student loans and then thinking to myself, well, this is, this is what you wanted and this is what you, what you got, you know, like, so now it's like you're paying like penance, you know, like per, per se, you know, for having received uh, the education that you wanted to give you this type of like job. Um, and deciding that I was just going to drop having a steady like paycheck and that income and just take my chances with whatever it may be and knowing and trusting that I would be okay. You know, 
I make it sound easy, but it was a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very it was very scary and there hasn't been a day since then that I look back and ever think oh that was a bad idea or I regret that because I also am very um, very big into not living to regret because then you're not living at all if you're not living if you're living in the past thinking about the past and you're not in the present moment and if you're focusing so intently on the future and what's to come tomorrow you're also not living in the moment and you're missing out completely on the experiences available to you at this precise point in time. Um, so, so I'm like, I have nothing to lose. Whatever happens is going to happen. What's not going to happen is not going to happen. Worst case scenario is I just got any type of job that, you know, will pay my bills, you know, like, cause yeah. I, cause I was very much decided that I did not want to go back into an office and work at an office job doing design work um and then I was like wait unless it's for myself and then you know lo and behold you know like that opportunity came up and and it's it's been life-changing and I'm so grateful to to my clients that gave me that opportunity and believed in me like just off the start being like all right well your friend you know we trust your friend and your friend says that you're good for this so we're, we're just where do we sign so being able to see all these opportunities as, as blessings and not just being grateful for them, but also being able to fully take advantage of them and invite them into your life, I feel is, is pretty priceless. Because sometimes opportunities are right in front of our face and we're so stuck in our own heads or in the clouds that they they keep passing us by and they're almost like taunting us. Like, do you not see me here? You know, like, um, I'm not gonna keep coming around every weekend. Um, and it's important to be able to keep your eyes and your heart and your mind opened to these things so that you don't get stuck in these routines and these ruts and end up wondering, what did I do with my life and why was it all the same? You're so wise. You're I was so going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that most of my, my friend group um, are senior citizens. I, 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 most people don't know this about me, but uh, I'm part of the Tropical Audubon Society, which means that I go with a lot of like 65 plus year olds and we wake up at 6.30 in the morning and we go bird watching awesome. um, and, and we'll document different types of bird species that we see and that kind of stuff. And usually like the, I, I'm not so good with uh, being able to recognize the bird calls and, and their colors and stuff like that, the way that they are. Um, uh-huh. But I can usually tell you what kinds of foods they like to eat and what kinds of trees and plants and stuff like that you'll need around. And if you have those, then they're going to come by. Uh, and I'm also part of the, the Pinecrest Garden Club down in Pinecrest. And, you know, it's also like a, an exuberant group of, uh, you know, like older grandmas. Um, and, they, and they all look at me and they're like, kind of like a, not really understanding, like, does she not have a real job, you know? Like, because all, all the meetings always happen like on a Tuesday at, at you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. So they're like, they're like, wow, oh, you just have a very free lifestyle. And I'm like, yes, I've, I've chosen that this is what I prefer to do with my time and how I want to, to move through life. And the amount of wisdom and knowledge that you receive from having, you know, like elders in your life, you know, whether they're your grandparents or not, you know, and I feel like, it's almost nicer when they're not your grandparents because there there isn't that um, 
emotional attachment that goes with it. So they're willing to Uh share and open up to you in different ways that you don't always necessarily receive from the grandparents you were born with, but the ones that you adopt Uh into your life. And they've helped me grow a lot in ways that they probably don't even know. And, and, and And I'm just so infinitely grateful for their own wisdom and being able to see how sometimes they, they you'll hear them speak and they'll speak about something and, and and it can in many ways they've also helped me to be more bold and taking new chances because they're like where we are now you know like you can take any chances you want and you don't have much left to go so it's like anything goes um, and I remember them you know like sharing times where like in their youth they felt um kind of like afraid to be able to take certain chances because there's just so much that we don't know in life and being able to take those leaps of faith can be very taxing on the on the mind and, and the body too you know like wondering what if and at the end of the day like if you don't take it you're just never going to know so you just have to take it love that i have absolutely loved this conversation with you thank you so much for coming on today oh and thank you guys so much for having me you have no idea how flattered i am that you guys thought it was interesting enough to be on of course I mean you've got so many fascinating stories I've just learned so much about you and I've just loved your sense of storytelling as well you tell such good stories and I feel like I was there with you the whole time and I've just so enjoyed getting to know you better um but I'm going to end on one more question it's something that we always ask our guests at the end of the episode if we remember (laughs) um so the question is if you could speak to one person whether they are dead or alive anybody famous not famous it doesn't matter who it is that you think is the most interesting person or somebody you'd love to have a conversation with who would it be and why oh definitely nikola tesla Um, nikola tesla to me has been such a fascinating um character you know like so much for of what we have in modern day technology and culture today is all in thanks to to his works and his genius and I, this idea of like thinking so out of the box that you're starting to build things like Tesla coils and, you know, like uh, finding this fascination with energy and power and the way that it inherently like lives within, you know, our, like the air and, and the ground and, you know, and how it carries everything and how everything is just vibration and being able to make that visible and observable to so many people via all the different inventions and things that he created. Um, and not just, you know, like this idea of like making these things and harnessing this, like, you know, something, something as powerful as power, um, but also his altruistic intentions behind it. And this idea of, you know, Wi-Fi being free for everybody, you know, and electricity being free for everybody. And all these things that would help to improve our, our lives and, um, and add quality to it being made accessible to everybody just because we can you know um, and obviously like if you know his story he ended up having you know I don't feel like he was ever as recognized or respected and it hasn't been till now like I would say the later years that his story has come to light that some people have given him some of the respect that he he merits and has deserved um, but a lot of uh, like in the past, like he, he ended up dying in a hotel room in New York by himself, you know, and the second that he passed away, like the CIA was out there cleaning up all his notes and taking over all of his important um, like life's work 
and and I feel like um, like there's so many interesting things that I'd like to, to ask him or just like learn more about like 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 what were you thinking you know when you started to to design this this like system you know like how did, how did these ideas come to mind like how like he just seems like such a fascinating person to me like mathematically and, and like uh, intellectually and, and on all these like different realms that they're I, 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 it would just blow my mind. <laughs> I like this one. I really like this one. I would, I would listen to this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I would listen to it. Yeah. I think one of the, if I'm not mistaken, he was working at the same time than Thomas Edison. And I think Thomas Edison took like the light and more of the uh, i think there was some revolt here as well between them so i guess that's one of the reason probably we don't know that much about tesla and because edison was became such a big figure well at the time edison was um experimenting with direct current while tesla like knew that alternating current what was yeah. actually going to be what we needed to be able to spread this out to the masses and, and be able to like light up the night sky and um, he he didn't care to have a rivalry, but because he was an immigrant, you know, like coming in from you know from from Serbia, and um, Edison was American. The relationships that were made available to Edison already in his social economical class and the groups of people that he he you know like hung out with weren't the same as those available to Tesla. So he originally did invite Tesla over to come like work with him. And so that he could, in fact, you know, like learn some of Tesla's things, but because Edison was very much so about finding ways to monetize this, and for Tesla, it was like, no, we can make this free for everybody. Like, this doesn't have to cost anybody anything, and there's so much more that we can do by being able to share this wealth as opposed to charge for it. And that's in a big way where some of this, um, uh, like, rift between the two of them being able to work together started to occur. And Edison used to shock elephants just to prove the point that direct curtain can be very dangerous. Um, and, you know, like, and make it make people think like, oh, wow, this like form of technology is very dangerous so they can do this to an elephant. Imagine in my house, you know, like, I'm going to stay away from this thing. This is the work of the devil. And I'm going to go ahead and, you know, like, stick to this direct current that's being sold to me by this you know, very loving and kind man that needs to prove his point by shocking elephants, um, which is mind blowing. You know, like, tells a little about someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, I feel like, especially with companies like, uh, um, like the actual Tesla automobile company. You know, like using the name Tesla to bring his name down from obscurity into popular mainstream and having it be something that you know, more people can now resonate with and be like, wow, it's not just about electric cars, but, you know, like, there's all this, like, history to who Nikola Tesla was. Um, it's, it's very important, and, and it's one of the things that I like about Elon Musk is being able to, to be like, all right, cool, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to honor someone that I feel merits uh, this recognition. Yeah. I think I'm going to download... Nikola Tesla book and read it because you make me want to read it. <laughs> it's got a good biography and no, no, it's it's and you know what? It's so fascinating that you you won't regret it. When I was in my early twenties, I had moved um, 
to Philadelphia for a short period of time. And this is before it went through its urban revival. So it was um, lovingly known as Philadelphia. And, uh, and while I was there, I was working on um, learning how to repair like vintage analog synthesizers, um, like ARP 2600s and, and Minimogs and that kind of stuff. And, and this is when I became like really fascinated with Tesla and I would go to the, the main library in, in Philly and I would check out all the books, you know, like about Tesla and all this like quirk and stuff like that. And and that's what filled my my time between that and like reading books on Capability Brown and all these like classical like landscape architecture architects from England and you know like France and all these places. You know, I was like, all right, cool. It's all about landscapes and really cool dudes that like to make energy and power. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Thank you for the sensor. If people want to get in touch with you, see your work, work with you, uh, what is the best way to contact you and see your work and everything that you do? All right, so they can look for some of my work on tropicalalchemy.com. And, um, and then if they just want to reach out to me like for any other thing that's not necessarily like work-related, um, but just life for fun. Um, to swap clothes? You know. Yeah, to do a close swap. <laughs> yes, I would absolutely love that. Um, they can look for me at Sephra underscore Shavaria, and that's spelled S-E-F-O-R-A underscore C-H-A-V-A-R-R-I-A. And you can find me on this platform on Instagram or Twitter or any other place. But that's, that's my name, and I'm sticking to it. And... Uh, <laughs> I'll make and sure I to leave everything in the description so people can just find you really easily. And you know what? For a long time, I actually thought that my name, because uh, I was told, like my name in Hebrew means bird, and my last name in, in Basque um, means uh, from the house on the mountain. So for a long time, I always went by, oh, I'm a bird from the house on the mountain. But just recently, I discovered that it's not my name in Basque. My last name in Basque doesn't actually mean from the house on the mountain. It actually means from the new house. So in the new house but I, I did like the mountain house so I'm kind of like making peace with that just, <laughs> just now <laughs> but yeah but thank you guys so much for having me this was this was definitely a lot of fun and, and it was great to be able to to share um, little tidbits here and there of, you know like my upbringing and my path in life which has been very squiggly um, and and you know also be able to share and enjoy some insight into into you guys yeah thank you yeah. thank you so much thank you so much for sharing everything and it's been so great to get to know you more and i'm sure everybody's enjoyed listening as well um for everybody listening thank you so much for tuning in make sure you share this episode with somebody else who might be interested in listening as well and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode thank you so much Sephora, and thank you everyone for listening thank you bye-bye good night ciao